Hi there, and welcome back to Building Better Basketball. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach and Volunteer Development Manager for Basketball Australia. I'm really pleased today to welcome along Fleur McIntyre for today's episode. Fleur is a country kid from WA whose dad was a mining engineer, which meant Fleur had a bit of travelling in her young life before she moved to Perth when she was 15. It did mean, though, that she was knee-deep in every sport, but excelled at basketball. I'll try not to embarrass her as I read out just a handful of her accolades. 270 games for Coburn Cougars, under 18 and under 20 state captain for the Western Australia Metro Women's team, captain of the Cougars for over 200 games, five MVP awards, uh, before moving on to becoming head coach of WABL and SBL, WNBL involvement with the Perth Lynx, coaching involvement with the Western Australia Junior State teams, both country and Metro at under 18 and under 20 level, an SBL commissioner. And on top of all that, our personal resume includes a Bachelor of Science with a graduate certificate in research methods, a Doctor of Philosophy and a comprehensive career away from basketball at the University of Notre Dame. Many of you though probably became aware of Fleur through her most recent coaching role as the assistant coach of the Sydney Kings in the NBL. Fleur, it's great to have you with us today, and I can't wait to uh, get stuck into a few of these questions. Thanks for the invitation, Neil. I'm stoked to be here and be involved. Um, Fleur, can you tell us a little bit, obviously, like I said, a lot of people um, from other states probably became more aware of you when um, you became involved with the Sydney Kings. Can you tell us just a little bit about how that all came about? Yeah, so I would was working at the university. I had stopped working there after about 15 years and was sort of figuring out. I knew I wanted a career change, but I wasn't sure uh, what I wanted to do. I loved my time at the university and obviously in teaching and research uh, and doing my coaching around that. Um, and I got a phone call. It was a Thursday afternoon and there was a voicemail and it was from Luke Longley, um, which was obviously I was like, oh, Luke, I hadn't spoken to Luke in a long time. And he sort of said, oh, Fleur, it's Luke, give me a call back. And I rang him and he said, what are you up to? And I'm not much. I'm sort of figuring out my next move. He's like, you don't want to apply for a job with the Sydney Kings, do you, as assistant coach? And I was a little bit blown away. And I said, seriously? Yep, absolutely. So he talked to me about a few things and he was pulling together a shortlist for the Kings and they were about to announce their new head coach of their NBL team, Chase Buford. So um, he just gave me some background and he said, look, sleep on it. But if you're, if you want to do it, I need your resume CV tomorrow, basically. So it sort of went from there. I, I applied and spoke to Paul Smith, the owner, one of the owners of the Kings on the Monday, New South Wales were in lockdown. So we had a nice chat about sort of his vision for the organization and where he wanted it to go. And then he, we basically went through, um, you know, what he wanted for the group and going forward in consistency. I had an interview with Chase um, on the Thursday. He was in the middle of NBA finals with the Milwaukee Bucks and it was 7am and I'm in my pyjamas. Lucky it was a phone call, wasn't a video conversation. And, you know, I felt like the interview went quite well and, you know, we we had a nice chat and obviously he asked me the questions that he wanted um, to I guess, gauge whether I was suitable to be his assistant. And then had a phone call with Chris, Chris Pongrass, the CEO, and literally two days later was informed that I had the job. So a bit of a whirlwind, had to pack up my life in about four weeks and ship everything over to Sydney. And that's how it's gone so far, assistant coach for the Sydney Kings in the NBL. Yeah. And obviously you guys are, are still going and 
got a little bit left of the season, but so far so good from your point of view? It's been fantastic. I uh, obviously, you know, packing up your whole life and taking a chance and coming over for a job, you're a little bit unsure. And obviously it was my first foray into professional sport. And I just thought I'm going to go have a crack at this and see how I go. And it's been awesome. Um, like, you know, I've done a couple of podcasts recently, but the staff, the performance staff, the coaching staff, the front office staff, and the guys are absolutely fantastic. They have embraced me from the moment I walked in and I've just felt completely part of the group. And I just, I just feel really honored that I get to work with these guys every day. They are fantastic to work with. And, you know, we're winning some games at the moment, hoping to push for a top four spot as we head towards the pointy end of the season. So it's been a fantastic experience for me so far. So obviously before you, you got the role with the Kings, you were, you were balancing coaching basketball with um, a day job, which a lot of the coaches that we will have um, listening to this are doing. How did you go about finding that balance between what was obviously some high level coaching that you were doing, but also earning a, a crust in your day job? I didn't do it very well for a number of years, Neil, if I'm perfectly honest. I would have moments because I'd be in the middle of like MBL one and then I'd have state coaching and then working a full-time job. And that's, I mean, I'm sure so many of these coaches can relate to that because that's what majority of people do, you know, it's the balance. And I think um, I sort of got better as I went along, I think very early on. And again, I probably still do this a lot. I just say yes to everything and I try and throw myself into everything, which is great. Um, and I think that's really important to have like a, a can-do mindset. But I think at times the balance comes from working out what you can actually invest your time and energy into. And I felt like sometimes I was splitting myself between so many different groups. I was probably doing it quite poorly and not being able to invest the time and energy to things that they actually needed because that's how you establish connection with people and, you know, invest and have those conversations. You need time and energy to do that. So as I went along... I became a little bit more, I guess, clever or strategic in how I balanced my time. And I also made sure around the basketball and around my work, I found time for myself um, and the things that I needed to do for my health and mental health. And that was always about spending time with, you know, family and friends that were typically outside of basketball. You spend so much of your time with your work colleagues and basketball people. And whilst like they're some of my best friends as well. For me, I had to make sure that I committed time for my relationships as well. So that was really important to me to find that balance. It was probably something I didn't do very well in my younger years, but I've definitely gotten better as I've gotten a little older. And as you, you talk about coaching as a journey, so you've, you've learned about that for how to, to manage yourself. So obviously with throughout our courses with Basketball Australia, we constantly refer to um, coaches coaching philosophy so I presume from where you started to where you are now your coaching philosophies changed dramatically so can you can you talk to us about some of the kind of key things that, you, that you've changed throughout the year Zip, sorry I think I think I've just gained a better understanding of um who I am and I think that comes as you get older so I think in the development of a coaching philosophy it's really important that you stay true to yourself and who you are as a person I think when you're trying to mirror someone else and I'm um, getting caught up in trying to become someone else I think that takes away from 
your individual strengths as a, as a person. So I think as I got older and a little bit more comfortable in my own skin in the development of my coaching philosophy, I tried to stay true to the things that make me me. Um, so along the way, I think the biggest thing that I've tried to do in the development of my coaching philosophy is that I want to help people obviously realize their potential and their players as, as basketball players, but also as people. And I think the values and the things that we instill in players hopefully transcend over to other areas of their lives. And I try to reflect that in my consistency of my coaching philosophy. So, and the way I live my life. So some of the values that, you know, I really invest in, I try and teach consistently is um, joy and fun, you know, in underpinning everything that we do. And I think that comes a lot of the time from a sense of humility and gratitude um, and trying to find those moments, particularly, I guess, in different levels when stress and everything else is going on. Um, that's one of the things that I try and instill in my players and something that I'm very strong on. I think the other thing that I really like instilling in my players and myself as well is that capacity to compete and toughness. And that comes from the development of resilience, you know, and commitment to the people around you and showing that commitment, things like being on time um, and all those sort of external things at times that then influence performance on court. But I also think designing, you know, everything you do and how we develop that um, into your training sessions and into your games. And the other thing that I, I really like and something that I, I mean, I love, it's my favorite part of coaching. And I think, again, when we're trying to help people develop their potential and where they want to go is that connection. And I think that comes, comes from communication, from conversations. It's helping me connect with players. It's helping players connect with me, other coaches, but also teammates. And I think having those conversations and investments are really important to develop those communication skills and greater connection with other people. So there's some of the things that I think I've, evolved in over the years and and figured out as I've gone along so with um with your uh journey moving through from age group coach to um state rep coach through to to the level that you're at now in terms of um not so much you changing but what is um what has stayed the same I think what have been some things that you've done to an under 18 side in, in WA through to, to what you're doing now with the Kings, either on court or, or off court? What are some of the things that a coach sitting there thinking, well, I do this, and you would say to them, well, I do exactly the same with the Kings? Yeah, I think human interaction is the biggest thing. Um, whether I'm coaching an 18s team and I've been an assistant, we're an NBL assistant with the Kings, like, those sort of conversations and, and it doesn't have to be formal things. I think going to every player and having some sort of understanding of each player, obviously we spend so much time analyzing what they do on court. And that's obviously another consistent thing. You could probably say in, in both levels, you're looking at individuals and how they fit and different things that you can use to strengthen their on-court play. But I think that connection and understanding Kids, adults, it doesn't matter who you're coaching and having conversations to learn a little bit about people is really important, particularly when, you know, we spend, we're trying to invest in people and develop skills as well. But I think people knowing that you're invested and you care about other things rather than just their skill development and obviously you're involved, you're giving up your time. So it shows that you care already. But that for me is the thing that is consistent across every level that I've coached at.
Um, obviously, you're a member of a very unique and small group in terms of um, women who made the coaching jump to the to the NBL level. Um, as the as we move down the the kind of coaching pathways, we see more um, female coaches coaching male um, athletes, and obviously um, you see it in the NBA and and in um, other sports as well. It's becoming more and more common. What um, I guess are some of the things that you've uh, seen in in your pathway that. Um, Perhaps some female coaches that are listening to this might see as barriers, but you've um, managed to, to work through them and, and create these opportunities. Such a good question, because I've, I've again, I've spoken about this a little bit recently. It's tend to come up about um, obviously trying to grow more females into coaching roles. And I think that there is definite areas there for females to step in. I think, you know, obviously the, the easy one to talk about is opportunity. Um, and I, I think, hopefully more associations, more clubs, more organizations are opening themselves up to the value of females and having a diverse coaching group. Um, because I think all individuals bring some different strengths to the table. And I think if, if we have everything the same, then nothing really changes. So I think there's some value adding there when we embrace diversity. I think the thing that I would say to female coaches is I've worked with a lot of young coaches or even females in general that doubt themselves a lot when asked to attend something or have you thought about getting involved in this and the biggest thing I hear from them is I can't I wouldn't be able to do that and I think the biggest thing I say to them is just go honestly you'll be fine go and have a go at it um, I think we hold ourselves back thinking that we don't know enough and we're not skilled enough and we were I've never done this before so I can't go and do it because everyone else is a male's in there and they've done it um, and you don't have to know it all lots of everyone in this business doesn't know it all that's how we learn you know you put yourself into things you pick other people's minds you find out things it's these incredible areas for growth um, and personal development but I think sometimes we're very hesitant to just go along and have a look at things in fear that we don't quite feel like we're ready um, and I talk about coming to the NBO I had no idea if I was ready you know I was speaking to you before we started and I just said I was I had no idea if this was going to pan out. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to take a chance and see how I go. And yeah, I certainly was hesitant whether I had what it took, um, but I have learned so much in this job already. But I think the things that I have behind me coming in have held me in pretty good stead as well. So that would be my advice as well. Don't hold yourself back and just soak in as much as you can and learn as much as you can, even if you don't feel ready. Did you have someone... Um that you that kind of encourage who uh, how can I best say that so as a did you have someone that you aspired to be as a coach or someone that encouraged you to become a coach after your transition from a player and what how did that kind of come about I I was always a captain of my junior state teams and things like that so I guess I was always in sort of leadership roles and I was just asked one day when I was still playing NBL one, if I wanted to be an assistant coach for, for a junior state team. And I, I was coaching junior teams as well at the time. I just always sort of uh, gravitated towards those sort of roles. I just really enjoyed working with junior kids as well. Like it was something that I really enjoyed and helping them get better and establishing that connection. 
I was also really fortunate that in my career at the university, I'd only ever had female um, managers and bosses, I guess. So I had these really strong female role models that weren't even in basketball, but were in leadership positions. And they always were encouraging of me that I could do anything I wanted to do. Um, And so I think having those female role models were really important. The other thing is as well, I had great male mentors as well in my coaching. Um, Andrew Cooper, who's the current head coach of the the WA under 20s. Um, You know, I was really fortunate to coach with him for a number of years and in the NBL one. And we had just a really good relationship and he was great to bounce ideas off and we throw things around at each other all the time. And he was always really encouraging of, my ideas and where I wanted to go. And yeah, those sort of things were really helpful for me um, in thinking that I could get where I wanted to go um, and take a chance and take this step to go coach with the Kings. So when I was, um, we've talked, I talked a little bit in the introduction about your role at the university and you mentioned it there. So um, I saw when I was um, LinkedIn stalking you to prepare for that, introduction <laughs> that um, one of the roles that you had at the university was chairing a um, research committee about children and adolescents and how they age and develop in terms of um, mental health and well-being so a lot of our coaches will be coaching that kind of demographic so um, and it's probably something that they weren't expecting to come to a basketball podcast to, to listen about but it, it it's really important in terms of fundamental movement and things like that. And also coming off the back of, um, for the majority of the country, long periods of, of lockdowns where mental health and well-being is such a, um, a prime concern now in all sport and society. So can you share with us some of the things that kind of came out of that um, committee that could possibly come up in, in future changes and improvements? Yeah, I think obviously we know that mental health is, uh, I guess it's it's one of the major health, con- I don't want to say concerns because obviously you can be mentally healthy and that's what we want for people. But, you know, mental health is something that for a long time has had a stigma and, you know, attached to it that we don't talk about it. And, you know, if you're not feeling 100% or if there's things going on that we tend to shy away from those discussions. So, I think the biggest thing that the work that's been surrounding mental health and just an understanding when you're in a coaching position as well is that it's okay to ask, you know, asking people if they're okay and just sometimes being that ear to listen. Um, You don't have to solve people's problems all the time and you can always refer things on if there's something that you're really concerned about and asking the person that they can go and seek help. Um, But I think sometimes just opening up conversations and saying, are you okay? You know, is everything all right? Is really important to establishing mentally healthy relationships. And sometimes people won't want to reveal to you, but I've found in my experience that um, when you establish connection with players and they feel comfortable with you and they know that you care about them, they are more likely to be able to reveal to you that, oh, I'm struggling with something and, and just have that ear to listen to them. So I think that's probably one of the most important things. A lot of the research that we did spoke about um, that that social connection is vitally important for people's mental health. So basketball provides that, sport provides that a lot of the time. So um, sometimes those human connections can be 
absolutely critical in letting someone feel like they're part of something bigger and that they've got people looking out for them. So that's probably the biggest thing that a lot of our research came out with. And we know that coaches play a key role in establishing an environment and one that's obviously about teaching, developing, but one of care as well. And I think that's something that we need to make sure that you know, we're aware of as we go into these roles, particularly at a community level when you're you're helping kids. I think it's one of the most rewarding things that you can do. I think volunteer coaches at community levels are incredible. Um, the last two things I've got, um, I'm going to ask everyone that, that comes on the podcast. So one is what's one tip for a coach on something they could do to improve themselves, like a, a book or a podcast or a course or or something like that just that it can be something you've done or something you you're actually looking to do yourself i i've got a couple if that's all right i yeah. i listen to a few podcasts um, i'm not a huge podcast person but it's really great at the kings there's a couple of us on the coaching staff um myself and lucky lonigan um often swap podcasts that we think might be of interest to each other so that's one of the things that we do Locke's really interested in the learning space and how people learn and acquire knowledge so he'll throw me things that he thinks is quite interesting and it's just searching you know whatever's out there um there's actually a really good podcast i was listening to the other day i don't know if the community it's um steve kerr and pete carroll you know the nba um and the nfl and they talk about the development of their coaching philosophy so that's actually a really cool podcast i really enjoyed that podcast and listening to the two of them and how it had developed over a, a period of time so I will listen to podcasts. I'm actually just about to read. I'm looking around like this because it's here. I'm actually about to read this at the moment. It's John Thompson's book. Uh, I came as a shadow autobiography. Um, so I, I'm a reader. I love to read. Not always autobiographies because I love to sit in fiction and that's my, but someone, Adam Capon recommended this to me. So I'm going, I've just got this book and I'm going to read that. Um, the other thing I would say is, again, I keep sort of bringing it up, but communication I think just having conversations I think most of the time the things I learn are not even informal meetings it's just these informal organic chats that I have um, with coaches that I know or when I go along to trials and meeting people and what they see I learn so much like that and I think Sometimes when you're a newer coach in an environment, I do a lot of, when I walked into the Kings, I spent the first two weeks basically just trying to watch and learn about players as much as possible. And then as I went along and I had more connection, it was having those conversations as we, as we went through. So they would be sort of my, my three, I guess, that I've listed for you. They've been really helpful for me. Um, I'm very much a people person as well. So I love learning about people and learning from people, players and coaches alike. So that, um, the Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll podcast, if you're listening now, it's called Flying Coach and it's by the Ringer Podcast Network, if you want to search that. And um, one of the things we are going to do, um, me and Pete Lonergan, who's the High Performance Coach Development Manager, we'll start putting out some um, book recommendations to go along with the podcasts as well. So keep your ears open for that. All right, Fleur, last one. And this can be anyone, they can be um, with us, they can be departed, they can be in basketball, they can be in um, soccer. Who's one coach you'd like to ask a question to and what would it be? Oh, I, I did say this even before and now sitting here, I'm like, oh, a tough one. I, Phil Jackson fascinates me. 
he absolutely fascinates me as a coach and as a person in terms of his approach. He's a little bit left of center and I, I appreciate that. I think he sees things in a different way. Um, so he is one coach that I would love to meet and, and pick his brain for a little bit. And if I was going to ask him a question, I think it would be similar to, to what you asked me earlier in the podcast, Neil, in terms of how did it change for him as he went along coaching in the NBA and obviously the, the, the superstars and things that he had. Um, because I think about what he would have had to manage with those egos and the amount of people. And, and I, I'm just so intrigued in how his approach to that and the development of him dealing with individuals, but also a team as a collective changed as he went along. So that would probably be my, my pick for that one. Mm, the only man to coach probably two of the three most iconic athletes of at least the last 30, 40 years, that's for sure. Yeah, so. and, and I'm lucky, obviously, because Luke is part of my life and he'll sort of say things every now and then like a Phil story and he just intrigues me. He just sounds like the most interesting man. So, um, yeah, he's someone that I, I'm really interested by. I'd love to sit down with him one day and, and pick his brain about a whole range of things. That's that's everything, Fleur. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for your time and for, for everyone listening. Um, I'm sure if you don't have a, uh, an NBL team that you support yourselves, I'm sure that you'll have um, encouraged them to get behind the Kings for the, the run-in to the, the championship. Absolutely. Everyone welcome on the Kings bandwagon at any point. Thanks for your time, Fleur. Thanks, Neil.